Ooh, hello, Jesse. Hello, Dennis. I've gotten a problem. What's that? What's what's going on? I have an appendix. Solution. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know when Vatican II document Sagerson and Conchillium was over, it wasn't really over? It wasn't? There's a thing at the end called the appendix. Did you know that when we did our series on Sagerson and Conchillium, it wasn't really over? It was never over. Actually, I didn't know that, but Chris reminded us there's a vestigial paragraph called the appendix to Sagerson and Conchillium. All right. It'll change your life. It will. So for, without it'll get you a date. It will get me a date. I still don't understand that joke, so I won't understand it again as well, you listen to, listen the, to the podcast. Without further ado, episode 29 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Best one ever. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. You thought we were just when you thought you couldn't say anything more about Sacrosanctum Gajelia. There's more, more, more. I will have to say, boys, that even though I've been uh, surly and skeptical of this whole Sacrosanctum Concilium series, mm-hmm. yes. I've, had some people like say, I've had some people say that they really enjoyed it and that they're going to miss it when it's, when it's done. But it's not done yet. <clears throat> you don't need to miss it. It's all on demand at liturgyguys.com. That's good. So why are we not done, Dennis? Because... There is an appendix. Yes. An appendix, which is not a useless appendage, as it is in the human body. Ooh, what are those called? <laughs> what are what called? Those There's useless a, body parts? Yeah. They do have a name. I can't think of what it like is. Like a tailbone and... Oh, what? It's a cool name, too. I'll come back to you. You guys keep going. I'll think of it. <laughs> we'll talk about some liturgy here, and you look up... Uh, Useless body parts. Oh, uh, oh my gosh. Oh my uh, God, there's so many jokes there. Vestigial? Vestigial organs. That's it. Oh, man. That's like a lot of pipe organs in churches. the smartest thing I will say all day, for sure. <laughs> so the, is this a vestigial appendix? No. No, it's needed. We need yes, this appendix. We do. Why? What it, because okay. we all need a date, Chris. Well, except for you married guys. <laughs> all right. Okay. You get it? You'll see why. What's it about? Oh, that's a, wow. Slow one of the if, liturgy. If guys. you two don't understand liturgy jokes like that, who's going to? Um, now everybody that's listening is yeah, like, Jesse doesn't I know that. I still have not arrived okay. at this because, joke. because, because the, appendix the appendix is, is about, about liturgical time and the and date dates. of Easter. Oh, right. Yeah. So should, they should I put a laugh track on that one? one <laughs> they spent 100 and the council fathers, 130 paragraphs talking about. Norms and principles for reform and restoration of the sacred liturgy. And then they all went home and they were like, oh, mamma mia, we forgot the date of Easter. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so there's this uh, appendix. I'm going to make that my ringtone. <laughs> it's called, I don't know how it's rendered in your version here, a declaration of the Second Ecumenical Council of the Vatican on revision of the calendar. Mine sees your bid and raises it yes. to declaration of the most sacred second ecumenical council 
of the Vatican on revision of the calendar. Mm-hmm. And I will just keep listening. Okay, what do they say? The Second uh, Ecumenical Council of the Vatican, recognizing the importance of the wishes expressed by many concerning the assignment of the Feast of Easter to a fixed Sunday and concerning the unchanging calendar, declares oh, as follows. But let's a, stop There's there. a word coming to me, Chris. Oh, Is it ontology? No. Oh, Eschatology? Pycrus. It starts with Liturgy? That. Quarto and ends with a decimen. Decimen. You know about quarto decimen, Jesse? Tell us now. Your life depends quarto on it. Quarto decimen is one fourth of a decimen, and the decimens can be. It's found. actually four times a decimen. It's four times a decimen, and the decimens. It's four plus a decimen, isn't it? Is one of those weird mammals that lays know. eggs. There you go. It's like a platypus. <laughs> Chris. Continue with something good. Uh, well, okay. So it says they want to, uh, th- they're debating the assignment of the Feast of Easter to a fixed Sunday. Because where does it take place now quarter decimens oh it's like the after the Sunday. moon of the seventh child minus the yeah, moon. moon is in the seventh house you see the, the 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 complexity right there yeah so in the early part of the church there was the polycarp of smyrna camp they were the quarter decimens mm-hmm. that's a bad I think name I went there one summer it wasn't fun <laughs> <laughs> okay so a quarter decimen i think think means for the 14ers. Oh, that's right. You're 14. Yeah. Four and 10, not four times four 10. Four and 10, yeah. yeah. So the, uh, right, because the, the Jewish people celebrated Passover on 14 Nisan. So Nisan was a, the uh, the name of the, they had at this time lunar months rather mm-hmm. than our- uh, But it was the first month of the year, right? God said, well, that go changed. make this the first month, right? Except later he says that Tishri in the fall is the first month. So it's very confusing. Yeah. But yeah, it's the springtime month. And so 14, and that those months began with the new moon, which is to say there was no moon. Then the moon starts to, is it wax or wane? Wax. Wax, until it gets full. I think on it waxes on, wax off, is how it works. On 14 Nissan. Right? Wax on, wane off. So there, right. were, there were some who said that we should be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus on 14 Nissan every year. They were called Cortodecimus. Because that's when Passover is. And right. the biblical descriptions say that it happens right around Passover. Right. At least okay. the Synoptic Gospels do. Yes. Then there was another camp, though, that said, but Jesus rose on a Sunday. Friday after Sunday. Sunday, yeah. Yes, on the, on the first day of the week. So, the, so Easter needs to be not on 14 Nissan, but on Sunday. So, so we should be saying TGIS, not TGIF. Thank God it's Sunday, right? Thank God it's... Yeah, we right. should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, okay, I've interrupted again your smart okay. stuff. So, so yeah, these two camps and at the Council of Nicaea, Jesse, you remember that one? Oh, it was one of my favorite the councils. the nice council. Yes, the nice council. In 325, they hit upon this formula, which we still use today, that sets the date of Easter, which is... Okay, so after the... Sunday. The, um, the Sunday after the winter solstice... Equinox. No, it's a good thing you're not a council father Man. or anything like that. I messed this up the last time. Yeah, this is why we need an appendix. This. Okay, yeah. So it's uh, Easter is on the first Sunday after the first full moon. Mm-hmm. So you see right there, they're trying to make both the Sunday people happy and the quarter decimen people happy. It's mm-hmm. the first Sunday it's after the first- It's hard to make the, the quarter decimens happy. They, yeah. they are <laughs> just a major after pain. After the first full moon after the spring equinox. Okay, so they're trying to blend in both of these things. Okay, so Easter can fall anywhere from- what, like March 21st to April 25th or Roughly. something? Roughly. So it moves moves around a lot. Okay, so how does this compare with Christmas? Christmas is on the 25th of December every year. Every single year. That right? one I know. So this is what they're getting at. Well, why don't we do the same thing for Easter that we did for Christmas? 
this is the the subject of the uh, appendix here. All right. right. And I guess for a long time, nobody wanted to do that. So don't some of the Orthodox churches have a fixed date or they have a different way of figuring out Easter. I remember it wouldn't be on the same day. I had some Greek neighbors across the street. Oh, and they would say, oh, your Easter and my Easter and whatever. No, I think part of it, see, these calendar questions have always been a concern. I think we maybe hit upon this a couple of times, right? So the, the calendar for most of the church's life was called the Julian calendar. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it named after Julius Caesar, right? In forty something BC, sets this calendar of uh, each uh, year is three hundred and sixty five days and a quarter, six mm-hmm. hours. Right? But um, remember, they, they it's not actually six hours; it's like five hours and forty nine minutes. And so every those eleven minutes add up to about a day over the course of a century. Mm-hmm. So by the time Gregory the I think it's the thirteenth end of the 16th century. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the summer, say, a solstice, for example, which is around June 21st, I think this is how this worked, was actually in natural time, like June 10th, right? So the, the, the actual cosmic calendar and the man-made calendar were off. Mm-hmm. So, he, so now we use the Gregorian calendar uh, by Gregory the 13th at the end of the 16th century. But who doesn't care what Gregory, what the Pope of the Catholic Church says about reforming the calendar. People outside the Roman Church. Right. So this could be part of the explanation for the discrepancy in the Eastern calendar, some of the Orthodox calendars and the Western calendar. Uh, I think the, the pilgrims, when they came to the United States, were celebrating Easter, you know, like <laughs> they didn't care what the Pope said either. Uh, so a lot of our early ancestors in the uh, United States, their calendar was a little bit off. With the wonder of uh, phone searches while you uh-huh. were bazooing there, as Bishop Barron likes to say, the Eastern Orthodox Church still uses the early, Jul- earlier Julian okay. calendar, just okay. like you said. So, according to the interwebs, you are correct. Yes. All right. So this, uh, the, but it's confusing, right? If nothing else, we've demonstrated how confusing it is about this uh, business mm-hmm. of Easter and calendars generally. So there was apparently, especially in the 30s, there was this idea, and I don't know how active it is today, of, of starting to set, to, to move away or adapting the Gregorian calendar, which is called an annual calendar, right? So the calendar for 2019 is going to be obsolete in 2020. You can't use it again because the days don't match up and things like that. Mm-hmm. Your birthday was on a Sunday this year. It's going to be on a Friday next year, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Okay, so there was this movement apparently in the late 19th century, early 20th century to come up with not an annual calendar, but a, a perennial calendar. Okay, so it would be exactly the same every mm, single year. I like that year. idea. All those yeah. people with birthdays on leap year could actually have a birthday every year. How about mm-hmm. that? So, yeah, well, apparently this was, um, well, let's scratch the surface a little here. I'm speculating. Dennis, what, what, what was happening, say, in the 1900s, 1910s, 1930s, 40s? What period of uh, Industrial history? Revolution. Okay, that's a part of what's called modernism, I'm mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so... This is, this is, again, my speculation. Modernity likes unity and not Modernity complexity. likes unity. And if we have to make nature be unified, we're going to do it. All right? right. So we're going to fix everything. We're going to manipulate nature into the way we want it. And so this messy, traditional, uh, historical calendar that's always changing, that's sloppy and confusing, we're going to ditch that. Right. And we're going to introduce a nice, Will clean, to power church calendar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is interesting, too, in this little uh, um, commentary I was reading that 
what's the what's the thing that was it Wil- President Wilson after the First World War? Is it the League of Nations? Mm-hmm. It okay, was. so it was the League of Nations was interested in reforming the calendar in the 1930s, and they suggested, according to this commentary, the Easter would always be on something like the second the the Sunday after the second Saturday in April. Hmm. Right? But why would the, it's like it would be like today the Unity the, of the, Nations, right? The UN caring about when the Catholic when Christians celebrate Easter. Well, in some ways it is kind of a division of the body of Christ, right? If we're we should all if we're all doing Easter, we should all be doing Easter at the same and time. And Walgreens right? needs to know when to put those peeps out. So like we need to be on the same page right. here. And then the Orthodox feel like jilted because all the candy's gone by the time the Easter mm-hmm. comes around, you know. Mm-hmm. But and I'm thinking back, no bunny likes that. Well, I'm thinking back to the opening paragraph of Vatican II, Sacrosanctum Concilium. It had said four aims in mind. One of them was to foster unity of all Christians. Yeah, but again, that the that the League of Nations, like, would the UN care about that today? Maybe if they were mostly Christian at the time. Yeah, today, they I don't think they yeah. wouldn't. No, no today, but they I think then they would. Okay, so this is a movement that's going on. Uh, again, I don't hear too much about this today, uh, but that this desire to uh, kind of streamline and move towards a perennial type calendar. All right, so so this is what this appendix is about. So uh, how does the um, how do the ca- how does the document decree it? Number one, there, Dennis. Well, first it says, having carefully considered all the effects that could result from this, uh, it, we would not object if the feast of Easter were assigned to a particular Sunday of the Gregorian calendar. So it's not like we really, really want this, but we're putting our little ecumenical toe in the water here. Um, we would not object, provided that those who may for whom it may concern, give their consent, especially the brethren who are not in communion with the apostolic see. So in other words, Orthodox and probably Protestants to the degree that they have, if they have a different calendar. All right. So they're open to that. I, mm-hmm. again, I don't hear too much talk about that. So it's conceivable at least that we could move to a particular date for Easter. Uh, but number two is related to the annual calendar. Maybe that's a redundant uh, but it speaks more about the week. So they're open to placing Easter on a particular day in the calendar, but what about the week? The week? Yeah, do you see it number two? E- Easter maintaining its place on a Sunday. It just Mine says, the most sacred council likewise declares it does not oppose efforts designed to introduce a perpetual calendar into civil society. Provided that, and this is the, set, this is the very last paragraph of... Uh, the document. Among the various systems which are being suggested to stabilize a perpetual calendar and to introduce it into civil life, the church has no objection only in the case of those uh, systems which retain and safeguard a seven-day week with Sunday Mm -hmm. without the introduction of any days outside of the week so that the succession of weeks may be left intact unless there's a question of the most serious reasons. Okay, so what they're open to a perennial calendar but what would take that off the table? If they messed with the week system. So they're like, you can mess with the year, but don't mess with the week. Okay, so why? Because of the importance of the number seven mm. and God creating the everything in six days and resting on the seventh. But then also Christ, you know, his resurrection we celebrate every Sunday. And the importance of a liturgical week within its own kind of self-contained mode of time is important yeah it would obliterate sunday basically mm-hmm. I, I don't know if this is what's behind but to my mind 
um, it seems like the movement from uh, uh, like to the to the death um, to the metric system. You know, we used to have you know, feet oh, yeah. twelve inches and things divided, and that that too was just kind of you know what it was based on the the length of somebody's arm or the tip of their nose to the yeah. whatever it is. We're still like, six feet tall, right? We're not six meters tall or three meters or two meters oh, yeah. six meters okay. tall yeah that'd that, be pretty that's big. a that's a messy measurement of uh, uh messy system of measurement but once you go to everything based on 10 and you got millimeters and centimeters and decimeters oh it's just so easy well what if we uh what if we did instead of this odd number seven a 10 day week why don't we have a 10 day week we'll kind of do like a metric system for the week and everything is you know built on tens and it's easy. then we wouldn't have sundays then you wouldn't have sundays and so what the this appendix is saying is hey you you want to try to go to a perennial calendar uh fix the date of easter fine but it has to maintain the seven day week i think that's wise i like it on the other hand it does seem a little funny the church is like we give over everything to you civil society you know modernity the big capital m was i think at its ascendancy at this point (laughs) what's the do you know this line i only know it from uh, bishop Barron. Quotes uh, Skillebex, who was a Dominican theologian at the time of the council. He says, the church embraced modernity at the very moment when the world was giving up on it. That's right. <laughs> so. The world was just about to be postmodern and the church was like, so here we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do whatever you say. <laughs> you want a perpetual calendar? Sure. Well, I mean, they held to the, the central question of the seven-day week. But it is interesting that probably, I don't know if they'd be quite so open to the world now as, uh, as they were then. But there it is. The appendix, Jesse, not to be appendectomied. So the appendix is just about time. What do you mean just about time, Jesse? I don't mean just as in like limited, but I'm just talking, I'm just, I'm just clarifying. The appendix is about liturgical time. It is. It's one other thing. But then the very last paragraph of all of Sacrosanum Concilium, because we can't leave it yet. Every... Each and every one of the things set forth in this constitution has won the consent of the fathers of this most sacred council. I think there were only two bishops who didn't actually sign on. Um, and, and then basically saying, it's been enacted in the, in the Synod to be published to God's glory. And Paul signs it, Pope Paul. The end. Oh, yeah. When did they vote on it? Here's a, we've had this nerd. Uh, well, it says uh, December 4th, 1963 here. That's when he promulgated it. Yeah. The council fathers voted on it on was it November 22nd. 22nd. Bingo. Wait, was I right? Yeah. Which was what? The Feast of St. Cecilia. When, why does that matter? Because it's also Trilus Illichitudini. Which is what? A liturgical document on music. From exactly 60 years ago. Exactly 60 years to the day. That was like a speed lightning round of Jesse Weiler intelligence. Yeah, give me like a million. I liked it in one of the other coffee talks we did. Like, what's September 19th? And you're like, talk like a pirate day. (laughs) What's November 22nd? I have no idea. (laughs) Don't talk like a pirate day, is what I said. (laughs) Sing like St. Cecilia Day. All right. How about, okay. how about a liturgy question? There is no way to milk the cow of Sacrosanum <laughs> anymore, really. Are we done Oh, with no, there is. There's all these. Oh, there's the these instructions on the right implementation Wait, of Sacrosanum. we're still not done yet? Well, there's, there's, there's five <laughs> documents on the proper Interocodomenichi. Tres Abhinganos, Jesse. Yeah, you're going to love that I love the three Abhinganos. Abhink. Three avocados? Three avocados. So maybe next season we'll unpack those. All right, sounds good. Awesome. Let's do a question. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here, but you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. 
uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning. I've known, we've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? Jesse! Jesse! Do we have a question? <laughs> we yes, do. do we? We do have a question. This question comes from Margaret. And I'm going to summarize it. There's basically two parts to this question. Yeah. Mark is the best, by the way. She is the best. And uh, it's basically in regard to the homily. And she wants to know what place uh, different information about political issues or Mm. the current events, what place does that have in the homily? And she also wants to know um, if you can use replacements in the homily, like a pulpit sheet and something that you can just pass out. Homily helps. So most people pass out. <laughs> most people do pass out at the homily. But like, what 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 are the requirements? Uh, let's for the go. Homily? Let's let's at least start with uh, on terra firma here. This is the germ number sixty five. Terra firma. I've never heard of that liturgical document. The homily, Jesse, is a part of the liturgy, <laughs> and is highly recommended. Right. So it's not an extra thing. It's integral. Oh, it's not. Wait. It's part of the liturgy. Oh, okay. Got it, it used to be seen as optional often, you know, before the council, especially at low mass. For it is necessary for the nurturing of the Christian life. It should be an explanation of some aspect of the readings from sacred scripture or of another text from the ordinary or the proper of the mass of the day. Which is, I think, so that doesn't include CNN or Fox News? Well, no. just hang on, okay. hang on. But you, it doesn't have to be, strictly speaking, on the readings. You could do a homily on the Sanctus. Or the saints of or the, the opening day. prayer. Sure, yeah. absolutely. But generally, uh, it's supposed to be related to scripture. Yes, uh, and should take into account both the mystery being celebrated... What, what would you call the mystery being celebrated? Sorry, Mystagogy. <laughs> mystery of Christ, the Paschal Mystery, and Jesse, Margaret, the particular needs of Why the Why did listeners. you loop me in there? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're with us here. Got it. Okay, so no, this is the, the last night. It takes into account the mystery of Christ as well as the particular needs of the people. So if the people have a particular need in their civic life, social life, cultural life, Maybe there, uh, th- th- that there are political issues, cultural issues that need to be addressed. They can be, but it's not a homily about politics. It's a homily about how the mystery of Christ enlightens what we do in the world, I should right. say. So, you know, in the time of um, Germany in World War II, there were a lot of priests who were, who were preaching against the Nazis, right? And they'd suddenly get carried off to a concentration camp or something. And so was that a political argument? Yeah, but really the issue was the government was acting contrary to the gospel, right? So you wouldn't say, let's just talk against the government. You'd say, here's the Christian vision. Here's the mystery. Here's what we should be doing. And our government's not doing that. So a lot of people like you, oh, finally someone preached about abortion or contraception or something. And people get you know excited about that. It shouldn't be just that, right? It should be, what's the Christian vision? What's the Christian mystery? And then how does this particular thing fit into that topic? All right, Margaret, I hope that answers your question. But we and didn't answer the second question. Oh, the See, lead- th- well, and that's why homily helps or scripts or things like that 
um, I think are can be aids, but are not meant to be replacements. Re- replacement, right? I mean, um, preaching is a liturgical it, act, it, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different than a classroom. It's an it's an act of the priest of the ordained person under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who theoretically may be prepared, but in that moment, their job is to reveal the mind of God to you. And ideally, that's how it would happen. Someone would be on fire. If you ever hear about a preacher who's on fire with the Holy Spirit and they're just mm-hmm. really excited and very interesting to listen to and the truth is just rolling out of their lips. See, because the person who wrote this little thing over in uh, you know Montana or whatever it is doesn't know what's happening in Soldier's Grove, Wisconsin, but my pastor does. And so he's the one who can speak more uh, effectively to the needs and circumstances of the people rather than somebody who's never even heard of my parish or something like that. So. And interestingly, the very last sentence in the section on the homily says, it's appropriate for a brief period of silence to be observed after the homily. In other words, Ooh, I like that. pray about what you just heard, think about what you just heard, internalize that a little bit. And after you've heard the gospel, after you've heard the homily, that's your chance to say, credo in unum deum. I heard, now I believe, right? So the creed follows that. And it's actually intentional to say, I've, I've seen the revelation and yes, I believe. And then because you believe, you go into the Eucharist. I know this little uh, suggested etymology of credo is I give my heart. So God Mm. has revealed these secrets of his heart that you've gone in through your ear and into your heart. And then with the creed, you return your heart back to God. Then, of course, you sacramentalize that even more during the Eucharist. Yeah, there's a lot of good theology in the general instruction. I like to do a podcast about that, you know, because the next thing says the profession of faith. And it says that the whole gathered people may respond to the word of God. So the, the creed is a response to the word of God. It's just not the next thing you do because it's in the book. Good. All right, Margaret, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Don't uh, tweet Dennis or Chris. D. McAdee. Don't do it. Don't, you said that doesn't work anymore. D. McAdee. All right. Bye. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.